Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. series that we're in is um, reflecting God's character. Um, Brother Boyd um, started it last week, um, if I'm not mistaken, and basically it's just like a mirror. God is the, the character that we want to reflect, and what a mirror does, it just reflects the image that's in front of it, and he has spoke of the mirror. Sometimes you can distort the mirror to show a different image, but that's what it is. It's a distorted image. And so what we want is to have a true image. And in my opinion, there's a lot of distorted images of the gospel today. But we want to have a true image of what the gospel should be and what the gospel is today. So that's what the, the month is about, is reflecting God's image and what today is, is refug- uh, refusing uh, prejudice. So I'm going to do just a little bit different. I want to, um, I'm actually going to start with the end. And they have, uh, uh, they have a lesson, or not a lesson, but some comments that's made um, on the, some missionaries that, in uh, Ethiopia that took place, some apostolic um, missionaries on leprosy. And I've just had some thoughts on leprosy that I'm just going to tie in with this right quick and that it, that I've just wondered about for a while. And But we know that in the New Testament, we see leprosy in the Old Testament, what it was, it was really a very cruel type of illness. But in the New Testament, it was really used as a type of sin. We've used it as an analogy for sin. And, but the thing of it is, when you look at the lepers, one thing they could not do is live in a wall town. Now, if the town did not have a wall around it, they could live, but they had to live separated of the town. They couldn't do that, and if they walked and they couldn't go very far from where they lived, uh, their mantle, we know in the Old Testament, when something was wrong, they would, as the Bible put it, would rip their mantle. They would tear their garment. The leper always had to have his garment tore to show that there was something wrong. He was in distress, so they always had to have this. They always had to shave their head, and if they spoke... Um, they had to cover their upper lip with their hand and they had to have their beard covered 
and this is the way, and they always had to cry out, unclean, unclean, if someone approached them. They was not allowed to approach no one, and they had to do this. And so if someone was approaching them that didn't know they was a leper, they would have not allowed to speak to them. It was against the law for them to allow. They, the law even said they couldn't receive a greeting and the reason being is because to us, like if you just walk by and acknowledge a person, hey, how you doing? And the person says, hey, how are you? Their greetings weren't like that. Their greetings more or less involved an embrace. So that's why it said a leper could not give a greeting and could not receive one because it involved an embrace. He was a leper. You could not touch him. That's why the Bible says it was against the law for anyone to touch a leper. And so you could not do that. So that uh, and the, what made what really made it horrible, and what preachers and the scripture has used as a type of sin is where we see the spots that come up on, and it eventually cover their whole body. But where in the fingers where it started is that it really that which you used to feel, and I've read on the sensors in the past of just how sensitive. Um, I, I should have brought it with me. I've actually told it from the pulpit, and I'm shocked if you don't remember it. But um, <laughs> how sensitive your fingers are to touch. And it is unbelievable what God put in our fingertips, th- this slightest feel that we can feel. And to a leper, that is one of the first things that goes. What would the God-given ability to feel is taken away. So as a type of sin to us, that which God puts in us to warn us of something, if we allow sin to stay in us, is slowly eroded. And the thing about it, the leper, he could be touching something hot and he didn't know it because that which would warn him is gone. So he, it, it was removed The danger is there, but he didn't know it. So what only his awful disease was on him is bad enough, but here he's harming himself more, and he's not even aware of it. So that was so. But one thing where I have read in the past, and I've actually spoken with this with Brother Boyd, one thing that's always got me in reading of this one word that you really don't find associated with the word leper is healed you really don't find that the word you find with leprosy is cleansed and through all the things you find God said like heal the sick but cleanse the leper so that is what God said so and then it's always, I know as far back as Miriam, and then you have Aaron. And many believe the reason Aaron wasn't struck with leprosy is because he was the high priest. But many believe, and not, this ain't throwing anything against women, but many believe that Miriam took the role, God struck her with leprosy. The Bible does say that God healed her of her leprosy. The ten that in Samaria, I think it was in, in Luke, that God took and cleanse the lepers, 
the observation is made of the leper himself. God said, and this is always the same in Scripture. When God cleansed a leper, the next thing he told them is, Go show yourself to the priest. And the one leper seeing himself was healed, looking at himself, he called himself healed. He turned back to thank God. So that's really, I think, the only two occasions. And the one actually, that one is from the man himself. The other one, it says that God actually healed Miriam. But what I'm saying is the Bible says cleansed. Now, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And, and what I was speaking with Brother Boyd, in speaking in our New Testament times how leprosy is associated with sin, as long as we live in this body, we have the ability to sin. And I don't mean like horrible stuff. I mean just in, in preachers has used it so much, and it's true. It's just like in the natural, you get up, and you, we get it from our kids. I hadn't went nowhere. I hadn't done nothing. So I don't need a shower this afternoon. And you think I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I hadn't done nothing. I hadn't said nothing. So I'm not going to repent this afternoon. Well, you're braver than I am. Repent. God said, give us this day our daily bread. Cleanse me. I may not have physically done anything wrong to my knowledge, but I'm not going to take a chance. We need to be cleansed daily. So, and then the next thing he tells them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, what I want to read to you is something that we hear all the time. And this, the Bible says, for we have not a high priest. This is in Hebrews uh, 4 and 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points um, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, the Bible tells us we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, that's not saying God or Jesus is standing there before God trying to convince God not to do anything to you. We have one mediator between God and man, the flesh of Jesus Christ. So he has taken, I came in the flesh, I went through every temptation that you will be presented with, and therefore you have a high priest. Go show yourself to the priest. We need to repent, and the next thing is God said this, and therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So I would think it would be just the way God designed it, even as he was telling the lepers, first I will cleanse you, then go show yourself to the priest. Because what would it, be feel, what would it feel like? I would liken this is when God, when he was crucified, when he uh, opened the temple, and passers-by was just be able to walk up and see into the Holy of Holies? What would it be like to be a leper and to literally have no human contact with nobody and the first hand that you feel touch your forehead would be God himself? That's why the Bible says some people beat up their self, and I'm not saying just sin and be arrogant about it. But I'm saying when we let the enemy 
beat us to death. God said, repent and go show yourself to the priest. In fact, he said it, come boldly to the throne of grace. God said, I did everything possible that I could do. Do not let the enemy tell you that you can't come into the throne of grace and receive mercy to help in the time of need. Because it's still just the same way God said it was. Go show yourself to the priest. Come into my room and you will receive mercy to help. So he's doing this. is show yourself to the priest. Now that I want the touch that only God can give. That literally that only God can give. Now there's these missionaries. They take. They're in Ethiopia. It was the late 1960s. They ministered to victims of Hansen disease, which is leprosy. It's the death of the nerves caused of loss of feelings of the hands, feet, nose. And there was half a million lepers in Ethiopia at the time, and they was considered literally untouchables. You did not even get around them, much less touch them. They went, established a workshop to teach uh, that teach the lepers to weave cloth, basket, and rugs. One woman who was named Tasha, meaning son, begged for admissions. Now get this, she had no hands, only stubs, and the front parts of her feet was gone, leaving only the heel and ankle area where she could only shuffle. The pastor had designed a prosthesis and strapped it onto her arm and wrist, and including the palm portion of the hand, this enabled the weaver to hold a tool which to work, but she could not wear it. So he brought her to his home to help his wife with a housewife, but his wife was horrified and said, you must take her away. But the husband said he could not. And now before we become judgmental to her, what would it be like And I know men and women, without you just think I'm being discriminating, look different, maybe at the home, maybe the wife, maybe not, would be a little more guarded of the home. The wife said, you have got to take her out of our home. She is a leper, and you are wanting to bring her into our home. And the woman... The leper literally had no place to go. Other beggars had beat her. And the husband said she will only be hurt again if we take her away. But she told her husband she has to go. He looked at his wife and said, okay, you remove her. He gave her the keys to the car, but he said, will you do one thing for me? When you leave, will you just go by the chapel? And so his wife basically took the keys, left without her, and she went to the chapel. And then the, the story says, laying on the floor where many a lepers have trod, God gave her victory over this. And she found deliverance. And soon the first Ethiopian convicts were baptized in Jesus' name, including 27 lepers. And this account is taken and summarized from the apostolic heroes in global missions now to me that would be hard that would be hard to me now 
turn with me or you can follow me on the screen. I'm going to James. It's on refusing prejudice. James is telling us in just common language. I'm going to read James 1 through 1 through 5. James 2, second chapter 1 through 5. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect unto him that weareth the gate clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou here, and sit thou under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, and hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Now, I'm going to read one more verse. You can just follow along if you want to. This is in Colossians 3.25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Now, I believe verse 5 sums it up. Lest James be misunderstood and said the poor is going to receive some type of an advantage with God. God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how much money you have, who you are, how poor you are. The, what captures this, everything, is verse 5. And heirs, James is speaking of the poor, but listen to this. And heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him. Now that's it. It doesn't matter your social status, who you are, what color you are. If you love God, he will make a way for you to overcome. It doesn't matter, James is saying. We think that just we are the ones. It flies in the face of everything in our country. Oh, you got 10 bucks? You got 10 million? Man, what did, boy, you must really be up there with God because he's blessed you. We grow up with that. God is no respecter of persons. We constantly have to battle this. We find ourselves thinking the more money somebody has, the higher they are. Or the less money they have, boy, God must really have it out for you. James is saying you can't do that. You have become evil in your thoughts if you do this. And some people think, well, you know, I'm poor, so I'm on, here's my chance to talk about the rich. Well, if I do that, I have become wrong. I can't say because I'm of this statue and somebody is of another statue that I'm envious against them. If I do, then I'm wrong. James says it does not matter. It's all in do I love God and do they love God. That's what matters. Don't put it on the status, James is saying. So he says... It all comes down to they love God. 
And literally, he says, if they're coming one to your assembly, a man with a gold ring. Now, you know, we don't go around wearing flashy gold stuff. I don't even wear a, a, a wedding ring. And that is because, and I don't do that to try to get women to hit on me. Now, they can take that out of the tape if they want to. I work in construction, was a brick mason my, all my life, so the ring would not last a week. So, But what I'm telling you, there was a time in Roman society in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament where it was a status symbol. You could literally rent, uh, rent uh, the, the rings in Roman society. There was like shops you could go to. I got this big shindig I'm going to. I want to rent some uh, rings. And they wore them on their left hand. So that's what James is saying. There come a guy. Wow, man, this guy's a player. He's got this big ring on his finger. Put him in a nice place. And James is saying, oh, this poor guy out of necessity has no clothes but dirty clothes. You just stand over here where nobody will notice you or I'll put you under. He says under his footstool, under the footstool. And God is saying, if you could gain it all, your soul is just as valuable as the other. And James says, you have missed the boat. You are just wrong. And James is saying, and you call yourself the church? You're not the church. You've become evil in your thoughts. You are going about this wrong. And, and we must balance this. Because if we come in, and I mean, we have, we have people, we have dignitaries. And, and, and the Bible says, you know, to give honor to whom honor is due. So if someone, if like, if our president, well, somebody might want to kill him. But if nobody wanted to hurt him that come in, we would show him respect. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if somebody come dressed in a $5,000 suit. And somebody come walked in with a t-shirt. We better not show them no difference. Because there is no difference. It's all in the outward material possessions. What God has put inside of them is the same. And that's all James is saying is in practical language. It is what God had invested inside of them that is the same. But I'm telling you, it, it does. We have to battle this. We are the church. We are God's called. But we live with this every day. It's in advertising. It's everything you do. That's why preachers is telling us constantly, watch, monitor what you let into your mind. Because it is an influence. It goes in. It's just everything we see. It's all on a scale. Everything, everything, and it's not. From a biblical point of view, humanity is the same. We all come from Adam, everything, everything. So, in prejudice, one story it has here that I'll tell of Corey Ten Boone. We know her. She was a Dutch watchmaker during the Christian, uh, she was a Christian Holocaust advisor. She helped 800 Jews escape from the Nazis during World War II. She was sharing an experience in Germany in 1947 when she came face-to-face with one of her guards at Ravensbrück. Now the guard come up in front of her after her speech, thrust out his hand, and told her what a fine message she had given. 
How is it good to know, as you say, that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea? He spoke to her. And as you spoke of forgiveness, she done, she says that she just act like she needed something out of her pocketbook. The man was standing with his hand out to shake her hand, and she ignored him. So he's standing there, and she was face to face with one of her captors. I'm talking not just somebody that wouldn't give her lunch, a cruel, very cruel captor. So she took, and she literally, she said her blood seemed to freeze in her. And she is standing there before that man, and the guard said, you mentioned Ravensbrook. And he says, I was a guard there. So he's speaking to her. But since that time, he said, I have become a Christian. He's telling her, and I knew that God had forgiven me for all the cruel things that I had did there. But I wanted to hear it from your lips that you forgive me. Will you forgive me? So the, in her story, she says she stood there. But here's the thing. She said she stood there thinking that God had forgiven me so many times over and over. And here was a man that I hated asking me to forgive him. And she said it didn't seem like but a few seconds that the man stood there. He had put his hand down. And, but she said what seemed like hours, the most difficult thing that she had ever had to do, and she knew she had to do it, but the one that inflicted so many injuries... And she was reminded of the Lord. If you not forgive men of their trespass, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespass. She stood there with a coldness clutching her heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. So she said she actually prayed, Jesus help me. I will lift my hand. But you got to give me the strength to put the forward motion in it. So she thrust out her hand, and she's remembering that Betsy had died there too. And then she said when she thrust out her hand, she said a current started in her shoulder, went down her hand, and met him. And then she said she felt the most warmth that she had ever felt in her life. And she told the man that she forgave him. And she said... I forgive you with all of my heart. And she said for a long moment, they grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. She said, I've never, never known God's love so intensely, but at that moment. And this is taken from Corey Ten Boone, Tramp for the Lord. Now, to me, that would be hard, very hard to do. And it's just... To be wronged and, you know, I've seen videos of people that is, people close to them that has been taken away tragically or even murdered and to forgive the ones that did it. And I've tried to put my place in that. And you don't really, I guess you don't really know what you would do to you're actually placed in it, but... I'm telling you, that would be a tough decision. You know, that, that, that's not one of them. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I can't let my mouth be that 
that wrong. Because I don't think that's a question that's going to be answered in a few seconds. But to actually forgive someone that had done you so wrong. I mean, and, and to, in the flip side of that, you know, look at how much God had forgiven us. And this is what I mean by that. When someone that has lost so much, forgive the one that's did it. What must God think of that person that just forgave them? Now, is it possible to be a true Christian and harbor prejudice in our heart? And I would say yes, it is. In the second chapter of this letter to the 12 tribe, James continues his discussion a vain versus pure religion, which he began in 1 and 27. Pure religion is concerned about the poor. In its pure religion, there is no prejudice. To give preferential treatment to those of highest status, flew in the face everything Jesus taught and practiced on the subject of social relationships. It just didn't matter who you was, what you was. And when it comes to the Lord, you know, he... He just meant the same to everyone. You know, it just didn't matter who your name was, what you was. He was just, he's compassionately concerned with everyone. And that's just, the poorest man was as worth as much to God as the richest. It really was. Those who was rich in faith must demonstrate that the faith they have is equally distributed to everyone. And we can do that. We can do that. The faith in our Lord Jesus Christ does not mix with prejudice if we do it from a biblical perspective. Now, some different translations. The King James says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. The, the NASB says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. The NLT says, My dear brothers and sisters, how you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others. Now, that is not doing it the way God did it. If you favor one over the other, God himself is not partial. So how can I say that I'm a Christian if I have partiality one to another? Then there is no place. Now, the rich man who wore the fine apparel while the poor man wore his filthy clothes. The rich man could pick from whatever he wanted. The poor man came with what he had. That's all he had to wear. So he wore what he had. Now, and James said, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He's not talking to Joe on the street. (laughs) He's talking to the Christians that was there. (laughs) So, the error of the prosperity doctrine... So, it's nuanced. It makes a note here. It says it's nuanced in various ways, but at the bottom line, it's called 
is the idea that people have a sufficient amount of the right kind of faith. If used correctly by speaking the right words, they will experience material prosperity. The Bible says it's like this in the New King James Version. It says, listen, my beloved children, hath not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those that love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you did not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Now, those who are rich in faith may be poor in finances, even to the extent of lacking sufficient clothing and food. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. What they need is not a rebuke for their lack of faith or a lecture on how to name it, claim it. What they need is a consistent love by Christians. Because it's not saying, I go back to my, my other statement, it's not saying that because you're poor you have no faith in God. Or if you're rich, God must really love you. That has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. Now... The two greatest commandments prohibit idolatry and prejudice. Jesus said it like this. One of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, That thou would love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, the first he said, these two, they're not even in the Ten Commandments, which Jesus quoted to the lawyer. And I, I, I would say it like this. On these two, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. First, you have the one dealing with God. On the door, we have hinges. If the door is the law, then what makes that door operate is the hinges. God said, if the law is to work, then these two is going to be everything. First, you is to be no idolatry, no other God. If you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you are focused on me. You're not concerned about no other God. If you love your neighbor as yourself second, then you are consumed with spreading this gospel and you're not, it's all about me. And you're not just taking selfies all the time. God said, the law hangs on these two. Everything is hinged on this. If you'll do this, God said everything will work out. If you have idolatry or if it's all about the selfies, then none of the law is going to work because everything is hinged on this. That's what God was telling the lawyer. And he said, this is the two that have it. So he says this, the rich poor. It's possible to be rich and poor at the same time. Yes, it is. If we define rich in connection with materialism and poor with spirituality, as some command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God 
who gives us richly all things to enjoy. But whosoever has this world goods and sees his brother in need and shut up his heart for, from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, one word that we hear tremendously today is racism. Now, the English Oxford Living Dictionary describes it like this. It's prejudice, discrimination, and antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Now, in another one is the belief that all members of each race possess characteristics, abilities, or qualities specific to that race, especially as to diminish it as to inferior or superior to another race or races. Now, and we know that God created us all. It doesn't matter what color you are, who you are, what you look like. It is to them that love him. That's what it's about. Now, Peter is one that's been given time and time again when it comes to being a racist, when he went to Cornelius' house. And Peter is telling him, look, basically, I shouldn't even be seen with you. I'm not even supposed to associate with you. Me with you? Literally, is what he was telling him. And he said, and he told him, basically in the end, I perceive of a truth that God shows no partiality. So he's telling him. So he sees this. And, but the Bible does say of those that are rich and having food and clothing, with all these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown mission which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love for the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all evils in which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possessed. We could get that, we could all go home. Here again, that is something that we must consistently tell ourselves. My life does not exist in the things, amount of what I possess. You know, we just think, you know, if I don't have this, you know, then, man, I, and some people it's all about the chase. You know, it's all about the pursuit. You know, I want this and, you know, I need to get this and, you know, Words that I or scriptures that I didn't read. James is telling them when you go on down past five and read where the the rich was taking them into court, and James is even saying, "Do not they blaspheme that holy name?" And basically, where God the scripture we just read for the love of money. There's only one reason. Basically, you take someone to court, you want something from them, so it's the love of money. And he says. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts. And to exploit, the word translated here, to exploit, meaning that it was happening right then. It's not something that was going to happen. It was happening right then. But when he said that we should watch out, we should watch how we treat everyone, love God, love everyone else as we would love ourselves. And where the scriptures tell this, 
he says, where godliness, some, the world says it like this. That's what they speak. Godliness is a means of gain, but that is not correct. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, love God, thank him for what he has given us. It's not in the amount of things that I possess. God loves us. He loves us all. And we are not to be partial in how we look at someone. James is just giving practical advice to the church. And he says, what I couldn't get over is the man that come in church and they tell the man, sit under my footstool. If I had ratty clothes on or not, I don't believe I'd like that. You know, you just you just park it under my footstool. You know, that he'd been wearing the footstool. You know, sit under my footstool. You know. But James is saying, gotta love everyone. Love everyone. And Sometimes, you know, it's just, it's hard to do. You know, they, some people's easy to love. Others, you need the Lord. (laughs) I take it you've been there. (laughs) Maybe you're still there. Maybe I need to end. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. God bless you. I love you. Hallelujah. Thank you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.